So people say the 70% rule, and I think a lot of investors don't understand why, but basically you take whatever the ARV is, right? So in that example, $100,000. Are you a real estate investor looking to sharpen your skills or a newbie looking to become one? You're in the right place. Welcome to Where Should I Invest? Real Estate Investing in Canada with your host, Sarah Larvey. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Where Should I Invest with Sarah Larby. I'm excited to have you guys back again for another awesome week and another awesome guest who is none other than Becca Shea. And Becca is a wholesaler and a real estate investor in the U.S. I met her through Luke Boyron, who is probably Canada's largest wholesaler, him and his wife, Jessica Bukta who uh, is one of the real estate empresses along with three others and myself. But Luke Boyron and Jessica have built a tremendous empire of wholesale deals. I think they did like 100 last year. And so Becca was referred to, uh, to me through them and had a great conversation with Becca. She knows her stuff. If you're interested in learning about wholesaling, she is a great wealth of knowledge as well. And uh, before we get into the interview, I just want to say, guys, I know there's this coronavirus thing going out, but don't get stuck on the sidelines waiting. There's always going to be something, right? SARS was there at one point. There's going to be ups and downs in the market. And if the coronavirus continues and people get more and more scared, you know what? It might put a halt on this crazy market or at least a little bit of a slowdown. So instead of having 17 offers on a property like we're seeing right now, we might see two or three, <laughs> but you know, this is actually could This could be because everything is temporary, but this could be a good opportunity to get some great deals that are not competing against 30 other investors because that's where the market is right now. It is really hard. There's a whole lot of demand for the investing type of properties and not a lot of supply. So everyone's hanging on to their stuff. Um, market rates have, dropped the bank of canada rate has dropped again so like is that going to cause a crazier frenzy i don't know i don't have a crystal ball you know what the good good thing is though just buy on cash flow buy for the long term i love the birth strategy and then just ride the wave because there are going to be some ups and downs don't sit on the sidelines just because there's all this scare stock market is crashing one day and uh, recovering a little bit the next day and everyone's panicking I mean, this is a good time for us. <laughs> get your cash ready, get your refinances ready, get your HELOCs ready to go because this is going to be a great time to have cash ready to go in order to buy some deals that you're not competing against a ton of other people. So on that note, guys, I know there's always something that happens. There's going to be something every single year that's going to scare people. Don't let that be you because if you look back, at the last 10 years and you're like, what was the biggest crisis every single year for those last 10 years? Shit happens, it gets resolved and something else happens afterwards that everybody panics again. So just stay out of the, all of that. I'm not saying that it's not going to affect us a little bit, but at the end of the day, five years from now, you're going to be fine. The property is going to be fine. And in times like this, people are going to possibly wait on the sidelines some more, some people with less experience. And that means that they might have to rent a little bit longer that means that the rents are going to be, market rents are going to go a little bit higher. So tons of opportunity in every single market type. And with that, just, you know, take action at some point, calculated action, of course, but 
don't sit there and wait until this whole thing passes away and then the craziness starts again. But I will say the craziness hasn't even stopped yet. So <laughs> if it does and it slows down, it is a good time to snag a few pieces of property to add to your portfolio. So don't let the coronavirus scare you. And you know, it's funny because we're seeing it now where people are limiting even businesses, they're limiting external people from coming in. So is it make, is do people make a bigger deal than what it really is? I don't know. I don't know. It seems like it. It seems that like, you know, I don't like this toilet paper thing with Costco. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, sure. Go ahead. You know, like those toilet paper companies though, like maybe you should buy some stock in that. <laughs> but, uh, you know, in all seriousness, I mean, it sucks. It is what it is, but it might be a good, good time to start booking some travel though, not to Italy or anything crazy. But I was looking even this morning, at like all inclusive trips and some of them are like 50, 40% off. Anyways, it is what it is. Look, I, I hope nobody gets sick, but how many deaths are there? How many flus are there every single year? We're, we're paying attention this year and it's over the media. So is there an overreaction or is it because really that's what we're consuming with everything around us? I don't know. I could be wrong. Let me know what your thoughts are. And, uh, and if you guys are affected and, and your thoughts on, you know, is it a good time to buy and what are you doing to prepare? I think for a potentially great opportunity, in my opinion, to get some deals where again, you're not competing against so many people, but on that note, guys, real estate keeps going and going and going and look at the long term trend. So short term, probably does it go down? Does it go up? Absolutely. Could it go down this year, next year? Probably. I don't know. I mean, again, I don't, uh, I don't worry too much about that piece. I don't think you guys should either, unless you're speculating and you're buying only on appreciation, which I don't recommend buy on appreciation with some cash flow. Um, definitely you want the cash flow in there and then you want a mortgage pay down. You want to look at the fundamentals of the town or the city or the region. And by the way, guys, if you want a free fundamentals checklist, there is one on my website that you guys can download absolutely for free. And you can see all of the different criteria that I look at when I look at a new market. Because originally, I was just in Brantford, Ontario. And now I have Hamilton. I have something in Burlington. I've got something in Lakefield. So I'm actually opening up my, my eyes to Peterborough. Um, and I have a lot of students also looking at things like Woodstock, which I just bought a sixplex in, Welland, St. Catharines. There's tons of great opportunities. So get out there, learn about the market, learn about the fundamentals. And also guys, on that note, if you are interested in reaching out, you know how to find me, go to my website, uh, sarahlarby.com or send me an email, sarah at sarahlarby.com. And on that note, guys, if you also are in the Burlington and surrounding area and uh, you want to come to the right club, We've got monthly events every single month, so you can check that out at therightclub.com. It's spelled R-E-I-T-E, stands for Real Estate Investing Training and Education, so therightclub.com. On that note, let's do our interview with Becca Shea. I'm really excited. Let's do it. Becca, it's wonderful to have you. How are you? I'm great. It's a beautiful day here, so... I know, I know. Actually here too, surprisingly, even though it's cold, it's somewhat sunny. So I'm excited to have you on the show. Now you are American and you live out in the US, but uh, before we get into so many questions, I have lots of great questions I, I'm dying to ask you. Tell us a little bit about what you do and about yourself. Sure. Well, I've been on a crazy real estate investing journey for the past couple of years. So just to kind of give you some context, you're catching me right at kind of the tail end of a transition. 
But I started rehabbing when my youngest daughter was born. My, my background was in mechanical engineering and I'd always been fascinated by the idea of, of rehabbing a house. And so I, when my youngest daughter was born, I was traveling all the time with my corporate job. Like I loved my job. I just didn't love the travel. And so I said to my husband, like, let's just try this. Like, if it doesn't work, I was on maternity leave. So I was like, if it doesn't work, no one will know. It'll be fine. And it worked. And so then I really, I'm really good at logistics. And I just found that that dovetailed nicely with rehabs. So I did one the first year and then three and then six. And then I wanted to do 12. And at that point, finding the deal becomes the hard part, right? So I had joined this high level real estate mastermind, seven figure flipping, because one of my friends joined it and he was like, this is amazing. Like, this is going to be a game changer. And I said, well, you know, if it helps me do one more deal, the cost of admission is worth it. And you know how we justify things. (laughs) And it did, but it also opened my, my mind to wholesaling. Like a lot of the people in the group were wholesalers and it wasn't something I had contemplated before that. And so I wanted to do more rehabs, but I was having a hard time finding deals. And I thought, okay, well, I'll do wholesaling. So then the past three years, I've been running both a wholesaling and a rehabbing company. And we've done between 30 and 50 deals each year. About a third of those are rehabs and about two thirds, you know, are wholesales. So, um, so just to get an idea about the market, because you're out in Pennsylvania, is that correct? Yeah. Outside of Philadelphia. So what does that look like? Because we're thinking, okay, you're doing this many flips or this many deals a year, the prices and the, you know, that might oh, yeah. a bit. So I just wanted to cover that. What, what are you looking at when you're saying, okay, we're doing these flips and we're looking at these deals. What do the financials look like with that? Oh yeah. I think this is going to blow up the Canadian brain. <laughs> <laughs> so we, I live in, in kind of on the edge between rural Pennsylvania, like think Amish horse and buggies and the city, like the suburbs, the high-end suburbs. So this, in the, the high-end suburbs, I mean, we're talking like five hundred to $700,000 price point out to the rural area is, that's US dollars. And then the rural areas, we're talking like 150,000 average price point. So it's a big spread, but, but most of our deals, the retail value, the ARV on them is somewhere in the like two to 300 range. Okay. All right. So it's not like it's 50 or 60 or 70 grand. Like sometimes when you think of, (laughs) we do have a couple pockets of those, but those don't make great rehabs. Uh, They make good rentals. (laughs) So that's interesting. So when you do analyze a property and you're looking for deals, because that's the the biggest thing I say to everyone that asks is it's not as hard to find money, but it's going to be harder and harder over time, especially in these markets to find those deals. So what is a good deal out for where you live and where you're looking? Well, that's actually a super interesting question because we use a 70% rule, right? So if the ARV is a hundred, then I want to get be into it for 70,000 minus the repairs. If they're like 30 and on average, we're spending on our, on our repairs, we spend about 30 to 50,000. So um, I'm going to stop you right there. Cause that's the percent rule I think is, is great, but it's, it's a very U S driven rule, but can oh, you is it? Okay. Elaborate on. <laughs> exactly what that is. Cause I've heard it a lot in the bigger pockets podcast and, and yeah. I'm familiar with it, but it's not necessarily a term that many of us use out here. So people say the 70% rule. And I think a lot of investors don't understand why, but basically you take whatever the ARV is, right? So in that example, a hundred thousand dollars and you take 30% off the top. And what people don't understand is the reason why you take the 30% off. So you're assuming from that 30%, 10, 10% is going to be your holding costs. 
your taxes and utilities and all that stuff that goes with it. And then 20% is your profit margin. So it's basically like, how do I back into a deal so that I have a 20% profit margin? And then you take off your repairs after that. So if I, if I know a house will sell for 100K and it needs 20 grand worth of work, I'm going to take 70% of 100K, which is 70,000 minus the 20, which is 50. And then if I'm a wholesaler, I know that I can find a buyer probably at 50K. So I'm going to try and get it under contract for less than 50K wherever I can and get Absolutely. them to pay me the difference. Thanks for explaining that. Because I, I think it's, yeah. it's interesting to see how the, the profits get calculated. And I think that's a, a great margin. I mean, if you can make 20% profit. Now, does that change, you know, depending on if you are, I don't know, like in different markets or do you really just stick to that 20%? It works well on the price point up to like, 200 or 300,000. I know some rehabbers who they just have a, they're usually pretty experienced, right? And they're like, I'm, I want to make 40K on every deal. I want to make 40K, which by the way, I've done like 60 rehabs. And I think my average profits around 20K. I just have never managed to be one of those like $50,000 profit people. (laughs) (laughs) But, but some rehabbers will back into it that way. They'll just run all their numbers based off of a target number. And, and actually I found when I went back through my 60 plus rehabs was that I usually borrow money between 10 and 12%. And then with my holding costs and the taxes where we're at, and then with paying a realtor at the end of it, because I don't list my own properties, my, I call it soft, they're called soft costs. My soft costs were usually around 12 or 13% of the ARV. So I could back into like, I could say, okay, hundred K minus 12% is 12,000. So I'm, it's going to cost me, you know, 88 at the end of the day, out the door. And if I put 20K into it, then I'm at 68, right? And, or if I want to make 20K profit, then I'm at 68 minus my repairs, which comes out really close to that 70% rule. Right. Absolutely. So, so talk to me about what you do to find these deals, because I mean, this market where we are in Ontario or Canada, you know, it's, uh, there are, I mean, again, it's not a, a one Canadian market, like it's very specific in all the different areas, but at some point it gets harder and harder to find deals because you've got multiple offers on properties, you know, where we are looking and like, sometimes there's like four or five offers on houses. Like the one I just bought, there was four other offers on it. And uh, you know, this was probably the fourth or fifth offer we've put in in the last month. And we finally got one. I'm like, okay, we're good. We're good. But how are you finding your deals? So we do direct to seller marketing. And the thing about marketing is it's always changing. Wholesaling has become really in vogue right now. I mean, especially in the U.S., we see there's, it seems, feels like everybody's getting into the game. The inventory is super low here, which means usually if you can get it at the right price, it'll sell fast. And so everybody just sees kind of this is an easy way to do it. So then we're walking in and sellers have a stack of postcards because we can do, we can pull lists, which you can in Canada. Right. So, the, you know, they'll have a stack of postcards because everybody's pulling the same list. And where I'm going, so I do marketing consulting for some high level investors, people who are spending, let's say like between 20 and 30K a month on marketing. And the first thing is marketing is always a living animal. What works today is probably not going to work six months from now, mm-hmm. but there's some pretty tried and true channels like direct mail. So you guys can't pull lists, but you can do in the U S it's called every door direct mail, which is like the post office just drops to, to everyone on the route. Yeah. Right? Bandit signs, which I hate. I like on principle hate doing them, but they work really well. Right. <laughs> <laughs> They're like the signs on the side of the road. We buy houses. 
Yeah, we went um, cash and phone number and mm-hmm. yellow sign. <laughs> messages. And a little trick that we found with bandit signs. So we use this app called Simple Crew to track, like I'll hire somebody to put out the bandit signs. And, and there's this app called Simple Crew that will geotag where the signs are. Hmm. And we found the best luck putting them on like random back roads. And I think, I don't have data to back this up, but I think it's because the psychology behind it is if that little old lady sees your sign at the end of her back road, she thinks you're local. You must be from around here. I can probably trust you. I think there's an inherent trust factor. Whereas hmm. if you just see them lined up on the freeway, you know, we buy houses, we buy houses, we buy houses. It's, it distances you. Yeah. You're one of many, many others at that point in time. Yeah. So that's a cool. That's a cool little strategy. And just to go back to the list piece, because we have this privacy law in Canada, it's, it's not like we can say, okay, who is in this area or this zip code or postal mm-hmm. code in our case that hasn't paid their taxes or that's owned the property for more than 20 years. Like we actually don't have access to this stuff, whether it's good or bad. I don't know. I mean, there's pros and cons because ultimately, like you said, everyone's pulling the same list and then they have a stack of like 50 cards versus here in Canada, if somebody was to start wholesaling, there's not that many because it's a little bit harder. So the ones that are successful, you know, we don't have necessarily sellers with stacks and stacks and stacks because they might have just one person that had reached out to them, maybe two, you know, it's just a completely different market here with that. But it's, it's quite interesting that you guys have access to well, there's some, there's some states in the U.S. where you can't pull lists too. Like oh, okay. Kansas, you can't. Oh. Um, can't remember. There's like three or four of them. So those people have to do the same thing. And like driving for dollars, right? Drive around, see who didn't put their trash out on trash day, whose houses are overgrown or just look in terrible condition. Again, like those are things that you can either hire somebody else to do for you or you can go do it on the weekend, send them mail. But ultimately, whatever strategy you do, I mean, it's been shown time and time again, you have to do it consistently. Right. I always tell people, if you have $5,000 you want to spend on marketing, don't spend $5,000 this month, spend $1,000 a month hitting the same people five times. Yeah, that's a great point. And it just goes to, I want to add to that. If somebody's listening to these podcasts, because we always have different topics and then you're like, oh, this sounds good. I should start here. I should start. And then they don't get started for like five to 10 years. Just pick a strategy. And yeah. then in that strategy, pick a way to be consistent in it. And then you're, you're, but no matter what, like there's, I mean, you're successful wholesaling. You're also successful flipping. I do the burr strategy. Some people can do different things and are successful because they are consistent and they learn about it. So like start with one strategy, pick the one and then just stick to it. I think that's a, a great point that you mentioned. Just if you're going to spend $5,000 on marketing, do it more than once because the, the more touches that you, I think I read somewhere that you have to like, it's seven touches between the yeah. time that you six nose to get a yes. Yeah. Exactly. Until you get somewhere. So definitely keep going. Super interesting. So how are you financing all of these properties? Are you using your own money or other people's money or how are you doing that? Other people's money. Yeah. Through seven figure flipping, I have access to lending home is a national hard money lender. Right. <laughs> Sorry. And so they'll do, they actually do hundred percent financing for us. Um, and then also, uh, you know, just building personal relationships. If you haven't read the book, getting the money by Susan Lassiter Lyons, like it's an awesome book. And it just talks about kind of the sale of getting private money and getting it at like my private money is at 7%, 8%. Like it's pretty good. Yeah. Whereas my hard money is that, you know, you're at a point in 10% or a point in 11%. So, you know, just, but it has to work. If the numbers work, they work. Right. 
Absolutely. Now I, w- I want to go back to points. So can you elaborate on what points are and how they work? Cause I think that's quite interesting. And, and sometimes you can borrow with no points and then you have to weigh out the, the pros and cons. And sometimes there's like two points. You're like, Oh, what is this? So can you, can you talk about what that is? Yeah. So points are a percent of the loan. So if it's a hundred thousand dollar loan, then a one point would be 1000, two points would be $2,000. And generally, especially with a, an institutional lender, like a hard money lender, they want that money up front. And they, so basically if they say like, Hey, we're at 10% and two points, and you're going to keep that money for six months. That's I, okay. I'm going to hope I do the math right here, but that's essentially like a 14% interest rate. Right. Exactly. If, if you're, so I don't, I don't <laughs> I have to calculate it as well, but essentially that's something to be careful about because if you're going and you're getting two points or one point up front, you're borrowing the money for six months. Sometimes it makes more sense to borrow at a higher amount if you're only yeah. going to do it for a short amount of time. So if you're, if you're, I don't know, needing it for three months and you're going to pay two points, it might be better to, to do it with no points at a higher percentage yeah. instead. Yeah. And the other thing with, you know, just to go down a little bit of the lending rabbit hole for the listeners is that even with hard, especially with institutional money, they generally charge points. And then they usually have some kind of like random fees thrown in like a $500 processing fee or, you know, underwriting fee. So you just, you really have to be careful with that stuff too, because that can add up to like a whole nother point on your loan. And like I said, if the deal is there, if the, if that, borrowing that money at that rate makes sense in the context of the deal, do it. I've done it a hundred times. I've done two points and 12% interest because the deal was so good and I needed the money and it worked out great for all of us. Absolutely. And the other thing I would say guys is just, if you're listening to this and again, money is not hard to find, you can find money, but just make sure that you have an exit strategy because if you don't have an exit strategy and you don't know when you're going to exit and how you're going to exit, this is where problems arise. And this is two exit strategies, I'd say. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So even better two exit strategies. So, so let's talk about that. So let's just say you do a flip, for example, like what are some of your exit strategies that you think of beforehand? I mean, if I do a flip, I always want to think of it in terms of the rentals. I actually, my best rental right now was a flip I couldn't sell because we have, do you have septic systems? Yeah. I mean, we do like, it's not as common, like mostly like where the, like, cottages in that area or just like some of the outskirts mm-hmm. depending on where you live like the city usually or like towns usually will have city water but there are subtexts out there for sure yeah so this property was built in like 1900 cute little cottage with a detached like huge two-car garage he had been a mechanic uh, with some space above it and I flipped this house it's adorable it's in a kind of a historic area and when I bought the house I, I got a septic test done and it passed And when I went to resell the house, they tested, the buyers tested the septic and it failed. And so I was like, man, so I dropped the price. I put it back up. I think this was like like over three month period. New buyer comes along, they test the septic, fails again. And we had had, last year was just the craziest, rainiest year. Or no, it was two two years ago. And so I was like, well, what do I do now? Like, all right, well, it's got a detached two car garage. I could rent that to a mechanic or something. And, And the house is actually in a great school district, great area. So I rented it. And I think I'm, I'm into the house for around, let's say 200K between 190 and 200. And it pulls in and rents 2,500. Wow. And it's a cla- class A, beautiful area, great location. It's going to appreciate. So, I mean, that's a classic example of, mm-hmm. and I was able to demand high rents because it was a fully rehabbed property. That is great. That is for sure. Awesome. So now when you're saying that the septic failed, like what does that mean exactly? Oh boy, how far down this rabbit hole do you want to go? 
30,000 foot view on what that means. So septic systems, basically your sewage goes from the house to a tank, a tank to a drain field, and all the solids stay in the tank, and then the water goes out into the drain field, and just, just like nature, it percolates through the ground, and it gets cleaned, goes, goes back into the groundwater. And what they do is they check to make sure that based on occupancy, the number of people living in the house, that that much water can go into the tank and then go out into the drain field and the drain field will actually percolate and dry out and not just stay saturated and wet. And unfortunately, when they came back to check it, they they put all this water into that drain field, came back to check it two days later and they were like, it's still really wet. It's not working properly. And I was like, well, had to get a whole new one or like what was your next No, it just scared the buyers away. I mean, it's like, it's working good enough, but Hmm. scared the buyers away. Eventually, if I want to sell it, I'll either need to like go when it's been really dry and get, get a septic test done then. And so I have the report in hand or I'll have to, um, put in a really expensive septic system, which is essentially like a little mini treatment plant with UV lights. And that costs like 40 grand. So, oh wow. I just have to like decide what, you know, but right now it's amazing reforming rental. So kind of kick absolutely <laughs> that's good that's good so so what's the next the next steps for you I mean you're doing wholesales you're doing flips like where do you see yourself oh yeah so well that's why I said you're catching me kind of at a, a crazy transition because this year organically I'm I was a mechanical engineer before and I started doing a ton of marketing and, and this marketing consulting happened really naturally like my clients tend to be amazing salespeople they're phenomenal at the sales side of wholesaling and they don't want to do the back end metrics and tracking. They'd rather just throw money at the problem. (laughs) I need my phone to ring. Just going to spend 10 more thousand dollars in this channel. (laughs) And what happens is they end up wasting like $10,000 a month and uh, unnecessarily. So they started reaching out to me like, Hey, you seem to be good at this. Could you help me rein in my spending? And I said, sure. And then as I started doing that, I just, I had too much stuff going on. I've got a dozen rentals and I was wholesaling and rehabbing. And the second that you put your rehab on the market till the day sells is the most nerve wracking, nail biting 40, for me, it's like 45 days ever. And earlier this year, I put one on the market. It was beautiful. It's like putting your baby out into the world, right? It's, right. it's like being an artist. <laughs> like now people critique it and they hate it and they find things wrong. And I put one on the market in like March or probably June timeframe. And I just, I said to my husband, I just, something's got to give. I've got too much going on right now. I, I can't handle it. I think I'm a step away from rehabbing. And then when I did that, and I was going to focus on the marketing consulting. Mm-hmm. When I did that, actually one of my friends had just bought the seven figure flipping mastermind. And he said, look, you've been running these accountability groups within the mastermind for like two or three years now. You've just been doing it because you like to see people succeed. What if you came aboard full time? Like I'll pay you. It seems like you don't want to do rehabbing anymore. I've never really loved wholesaling. And so that's where I'm currently at. I I have my dream job that I didn't know was actually a dream job, running accountability groups and loving on people. (laughs) That is really cool. So where can people find out more about the accountability group? Uh, Well, it's part, it's for our members. So, but what we do is there's this book called the 12 week year. Have you read it? No, it's, it resonated with me. It's awesome. And it basically talks about like, Hey, if you want to get from here to, let's say, let's say you've never rehabbed a house and you want to buy, by this time next year, right? At the end of, of, well, I don't know when this is going to come out. So let's say a year from now you want to rehab a house. 
you break it down into four, three or four actionable steps, right? So the first is probably just get a house under contract. And so then you, you might say, hey, for 12 weeks, I'm going to focus on getting a house under contract. And, and you break it down into repeatable actions. So I'm going to go see five properties every week. I'm going to make offers on two. I'm going to run the numbers on all five of them. I'm going to make offers on two. Like those would be your three actions. See five properties, run the numbers on five properties, make two offers. And if you just did that every week for 12 weeks, you would get a deal, right? Yeah, absolutely. No, that, that's, a, that's a great concept. I'm going to read it. Who wrote it? Do you know? Brian Moran. I have it here. Okay. Yeah. So, so I read this book like three years ago and I loved it. And, and I was like, I reached out to people in the group. I said, does somebody want to do this with me? And a couple people said yes. And then I, we did it and it was so successful. So I've used it to like, I used it to raise $500,000 in private money. I used it to get 200 appointments. Like we were, we were averaging about 110 appointments and so I was like, I want to get that up to 200. So like, what do we have to do? We have to send more marketing. We have to call. We have to follow up. Just do that for 12 weeks. Just do that. So. Very cool. Yeah. That's, that's awesome. Well, congrats. It sounds like uh, things are going well. And yeah. uh, I've heard lots of great things, by the way, about the group. So oh, it's, uh, yeah. I'll have to check it out for sure. So the next part of the podcast is uh, five questions. Everybody gets the same questions. It's called our lightning round. So you're going to give us the first answer that comes to mind. Are you ready? Oh boy. Okay. Let's do it. <laughs> And now we're going to take a quick break to hear from one of our sponsors. Hey guys, I just wanted to take a quick moment and pause the podcast interview here because I wanted to introduce you to Dahlia Barsoom of Streetwise Mortgages. I am a big believer, as you guys probably have heard, work with a mortgage broker. They are going to help you scale. And when I was first growing in real estate investing and looking to buying my second property and my third property, I was going directly to the bank then. I hadn't met Dahlia yet. And I actually was hitting a roadblock when it came to financing because the bank started asking me for 25% as the down payment. And then for my third property, they wanted 35%. And it was really, really hard for me to A, understand why it was creeping up like that. And B, I didn't have 35% to put down. I had 20%. And luckily, I actually met Dahlia at that point in time. And Dahlia is actually an investor herself. And she works with many, many investors. And she knows all the pitfalls and the barriers that normally come up with dealing directly with a bank and all the different lenders. And Dahlia was actually able to not just find me proper alternatives, but I've got nine properties now and I'm still able to get financing with A lenders and it allows me to be able to scale up without hitting the financing wall. And so she's been a tremendous help. So the other thing I really, really enjoy is Dahlia also does a free goals analysis. So if you go to either my website or her website, streetwisemortgages.com, Mention the podcast and ask for the free goals analysis. It was a game changer for me. And it allowed me to actually understand what I needed to do, how many properties I was going to get because of the cash flow that I was looking for. If you guys wanted to reach out to Dahlia, you can reach out to her by email, which is info at streetwisemortgages.com. Or you can actually reach out to her on the website at streetwisemortgages.com. And then just go to the contact section. And you can also call her at 1-800-208-6255. Thanks for listening and back to the show. And now back to the show. Okay, question number one. 
What is your favorite real estate investing book ever? Oh, well, the 12 week year, but I don't know if that counts as real estate investing. It's a book. It's a book. And then I'm sure you can, you can apply it to your real estate investing business. Yeah. That's some great examples of how you did that. Awesome. Question number two, what is your favorite podcast? Oh, well, Bill's going to want me to say seven figure flipping, but he does put on good stuff, but actually it's Brian Buffini. If you haven't listened to him, that guy's amazing. I think I have listened to a couple of his episodes. It's like a green kind of logo, right? Green and silver, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Number three, what is your favorite pastime? So what do you do for fun when it has nothing to do with real estate or running your group? I like to build things. So like building furniture, stuff in my house. That's my, right before we got on this podcast, I was actually painting my garage. Nice. (laughs) (laughs) I know you're like, I saw your email. You're like, I might be covered in paint. Maybe not. (laughs) Nice. Uh, Question number four, if you lost all of your money and your assets tomorrow, how would we start again? I mean, I would just try and leverage my skills. And that's the cool thing about this journey is like, you said it actually in a podcast, I heard you, I think you're talking to Joe Fairless. You said, there's a lot of ways to make money in real estate. Just pick one. That's it. I would pick the thing that makes me happiest. Okay. All right. Excellent. So number five, last question for the lightning round. If somebody has $50,000 and they want to get started, how would you recommend that they spend it? This is Canada. (laughs) Well, what price point are we talking about? So um, hey, you feel free to answer it however you'd like. I, I think first I would do some soul searching about what type of real estate investing you want to do. Like, do you want to do burrs? Because $50,000 could work really well. If you get a loan and that's your down payment, right? Do you want to do, if you want to do wholesaling, then you're going to put that into marketing, right? Like six months worth of marketing, or I would probably make that a year's worth of marketing. If you want to do rehabbing, same thing, use that as a down payment on a property and get a hard money loan. Okay. All right. Amazing. Thanks for playing the lightning round. So where can listeners find you if they wanted to reach out and know more about you? Becca at sevenfigureflipping.com. And about the marketing consulting, my company is Market Shark Consulting. So they can look up. Okay. Amazing. Amazing. Any final last words of advice, anything else for the listeners that you'd like to leave them with before we, we wrap up? Yeah. You're way more capable than you think you are. Don't listen to those voices in your head. Awesome. Thank you so much, Becca, for being on the show. It was a pleasure having you. And thanks for the great insights that you've provided us and the listeners. Thanks so much. Great. Hey guys, before you go, I wanted to ask you a question. What's stopping you from starting or growing your own real estate investment portfolio? I know for me, before I started, I had plenty of reasons. And at the time, they all seemed very valid. But as I started my journey, these reasons slowly fell away. And eventually only one reason remained. What was actually stopping me was having a proven, actionable, repeatable system. I didn't have that. And the way that was going to change was by investing in myself, learning, listening, and looking for ways that worked. And also, most importantly, discovering what didn't and not making those mistakes again. Fast forward to today, I now have a proven, repeatable series of action steps that has enabled me to build my seven-figure portfolio consisting of multiple homes, and I'm able to manage that in two to three hours a month. Is that something that you would want? Well, I've actually taken all the knowledge I've accumulated and put that into a comprehensive step-by-step online program. It's called Rise, and it's a program that will help you from where you are now to where you want to be faster and with less of the headaches that I had. So it consists of all the templates and the resources that I use, plus over 40 instructional videos that you get lifetime access to for just a small one-time investment. 
And, you know, my recommendation is to make the time now to invest in yourself and grow your portfolio to seven figures so that you can bring your retirement dreams closer. If you want some more information about Rise, just go to sarahlarby.com forward slash R-I-S-E to access more details and book your spot. Thanks so much for listening to Where Should I Invest with your host, Sarah Larby. Make sure to listen in next time. We'll catch you on the next episode of Where Should I Invest.